And those that are viewing online, it's good to see you too. Welcome. I hope you're uh, enjoying your time together. Um, as a reminder, you can fill out the online communication card uh, that, is, or, uh, that is available through the Church Center app, or you can uh, just uh, click the comments below. Apparently, somebody is going to be uploading that for us. Um, reminder for students and parents that there will be no midweek student services this week. And right now, our tentative plan is to get back together on Wednesday, January 13. So no student services this week. Again, tentative plan uh, is to be back together Wednesday, uh, January 13th. And we do need to, to step, step back and pause and, and thank all of those that are volunteering their time and, and uh, uh, ministering to those of us sitting here as well as to those of us that are viewing online. Um, we haven't had the luxury of having our paid staff be available to us because of sicknesses and things like that. And we just do thank you and praise the Lord for the work and the ministry that you're doing. And folks, this is something that we've been teaching and uh, trying to, to, uh, to show you here is that we are the church, whether we, hit, we get a salary from it or not. Uh, if you are blessed enough to have a job and to, uh, to minister amongst the church, praise the Lord. If you're blessed enough to be supported by the church and to minister amongst it, Praise the Lord. We are the body of Christ. And let's praise the Lord for allowing us to meet together virtually or, or here uh, together. So we are going to transition back into our study through the book of Mark. So we took a break for Advent season. If you will turn with me to Mark chapter 14. It feels like we've been away from this for some time. And we have. And that's purposeful. Uh, for those of you that, that have been here a while, you know that Pastor Matt loves the Advent season. He loves all things Christmas. I think he was even bragging about his T-shirt. Did anybody see this on, online? Matt, uh, the Bailey Brothers. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's all proud. He loves everything Christmas. And we, so we have, uh, for the past number of years that I can remember, we've, we've paused to help us refocus and remind us what it is that we're supposed to be celebrating uh, at Christmas time. And so we've, we've taken those uh, traditional weeks of Advent and, and, and tied those into our, our regular uh, uh, calendar year. But isn't it wonderful to know that our hope isn't in 2021 versus 2020? Our, our hope is in the sovereign king who sits on the throne that has control over time that has control over the nations, over the economies of the world. Folks, I, I hope that we're not just looking for a change of a calendar to bring us hope this season, because I don't know if you've noticed, but today's January 3rd, and January 3rd really doesn't look that much different than January 2nd, nor December 29th. The, the, the calendar doesn't bring the hope. We gather here together to open God's word together before he is the hope. And that's why uh, I, I, we we're diving back into our study through the book of Mark. We've been in this study for uh, uh, 10 years, 20 years. Uh, no, it's been, it's been a year and a half. But I have gleaned so much from it. I, it. It's simple for me to remember, oh, that tied in with this and this. As we go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, the Lord and the, the Spirit seems to just stack the lessons on top of them. And so we're back in, in Mark chapter 14 this morning. 
before we get into the text itself, I'd like to talk to us about a staple that I think you've grown up with and that you know about. The Oreo cookie. All right, it's America's cookie. If you grew up in America, you know what the Oreo is. And if you didn't grow up in America, you probably know what the, the Oreo cookie is. All right. The Oreo cookie, simple enough, right? Two chocolate wafers with a sweet cream filling. Very simple, very basic, very beautiful. It was introduced to the world on March 6th, 1912. And I don't know why we don't celebrate that day. We, we should start a celebration of that. March 6th, 1912, it was introduced to the world. But it wasn't until the early 1990s that they changed the recipe for that sweet cream filling, right? Prior to the early 1990s, it was a lard-based filling. I'm sure it tasted a lot better. I cannot remember it. And they moved to a recipe that includes now partially hydrogenated vegetable oil. And uh, I, I researched, the, uh, well, I did very quick 30-second uh, research on the Oreo website. Uh, and there are multiple patents that, that came out of this. Um, it was in 1928 that the cookie went international. Think about that. We're almost going on 100 years of the Oreo cookie being an international phenomenon. And then in 2006, it became China's number one selling cookie. That's right, in 2006. And so, and for, for those, uh, oh, and by the way, last, last detail here, the double stuff Oreo, which is a fan favorite, that was introduced in what year do you think that was? 1974. Thus, sealing the fate of all Generation Xers for the rest of their lives, being hooked on lard and sugar, and in the future, partially hydrogenated vegetable oil and sugar. Uh, and apparently, the Oreo claims to be uh, vegan-friendly, but uh, I do not make any claims like that, so please go research that one for yourself. Folks, the Oreo cookie has nothing to do with Mark chapter 14 this morning. However, as I was studying and preparing for, for the text this morning, the Oreo cookie came to mind. Because I think of the contrast that the Holy Spirit is purposely making in this text. Again, the Oreo cookie, two dark wafers with a very sweet cream filling. Let's read Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. I think it'll be very, very obvious what each part of the cookie is this morning. Let's read. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. 
and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for communicating to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that we would not miss the lessons that you desire for us this morning from your word. Thank you for gathering us together in-house and online. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to, to, to not pay attention uh, uh, to, to, the, to the smells in the kitchen, to the dog barking, to the other distractions in the house here. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be attentive to you, that our worship would be as sweet as we've just read. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wasn't a stretch, was it, for the Oreo? Let's dive in and, and let's pick this cookie apart. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, so chapter 14 marks, that was a pun, marks a very distinct difference and change in the book of Mark. Did, I came back. For, all right, I'm trying to keep us up here. Chapter 14 is the longest chapter in the book of Mark. And this is right in the center of what the theologians refer to as Christ's Passion Week. Passion. So the word passion is rooted in the concept of suffering, but when we say we have a passion for something, it usually doesn't mean that we're suffering for it, but rather that we have strong feelings about something. Christ's passion elicited his soul and body intense feelings of agony. We're right in the middle of that week. It says that it's two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We, I think we need to be reminded that the, the, the Feast of Passover is the Jewish festival that commemorated the occasion when the destroying angel passed over those houses in Egypt that didn't have the blood of the lamb painted on the outside doorposts. Remember that? Going all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. And it was on that night that those homes that didn't have the, um, the blood on the doorpost that the angel of the Lord came in and took or killed the firstborn. Immediately after the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, unlike the Passover, lasted for seven days. And they were back to back. Feast of Passover, the next day begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So now we have this eight-day celebration period that is commonly referred to as 
Passover, or even later on down the road, we're going to see that it will, they'll number the days of unleavened bread, or it will be referred to as the second day of unleavened bread, or, the, or whatever it might be. So they get pu- pushed together to form, in, in, their, in their speaking, one festival because it's eight days. It just flowed together. It's kind of like the end of our season. We, we refer to it as the holiday season because we have Christmas that flows right into New Year's and then into the greatest day of all when everybody returns back to school on, on a normal non-COVID season, right? Those days just kind of flow together. And it was that the lambs were slain on the 14th of Nisan in preparation for the 15th of Nisan when the families would gather together to celebrate Passover. The lamb, the meal had to be eaten between evening, between sundown and midnight that night. And remember back to Exodus chapter 12, they were supposed to eat with their sandals on their feet and staffs in their hands. They were supposed to get out. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. Therefore, they were uh, using unleavened bread and in the Jewish reckoning, it was the 15th of Nisan that they would eat it because the Jewish day began at sundown. All right, continuing on in our text, still in verse 1. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So two days prior to the Passover, the chief priests... That would be the Sadducees. And the scribes, that would be the Pharisees. And and Matthew says, the elders of the people. They gathered together. This was the ruling body. This was the Sanhedrin. And they gathered together in a not normal place for the official meetings of the Sanhedrin. Matthew was in the palace of the high priest who was Caiaphas that year. This was not a normal meeting. It's an impromptu meeting that quickly turns, well at least the way that Mark says it, it looks like it's an impromptu meeting, that turns into an official meeting and they're scheming, they're planning. They, what do they want to do? They want to, by stealth, arrest him and kill him, but not at this time because they fear the people. See, it was Passover time. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this was a time This was one of three times in the Jewish calendar when every able-bodied male had to present himself before the Lord, which would be in the temple, at the temple in Jerusalem, in their uh, their calendar year. This was one of those times. So Jerusalem would be swollen with visitors from outsiders who don't normally live there, but they're coming to celebrate Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And remember, these leaders fear the people because some of the people believe that Jesus was a prophet. Like unto Elijah or John the Baptist. Remember, we, we've, we've, that's the beauty of studying through the books. We, we've built upon this. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're the prophet. Some thought that Jesus was the prophet, the one that Moses back in Deuteronomy told them to be on the lookout for. The one who was going to be greater than than him, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so, fearing the reaction of the people, because if they arrested him then, and killed him then, then they would have an uproar on their hands, one in which they would probably lose, because of the sheer numbers. Therefore, they're scheming to do this by stealth. The backdoor meeting. It's going to be dark. They don't want to do it at this time, lest there be an uproar from the people. 
please, I think the contrast is uh, flagrant there. These men and their evil scheme that they've just hatched are going to down, rain down terror on the nation of Israel for millennia to follow. The first dark wafer in our cookie is in place. Let's move on to the sweet filling. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, I need to stop there. We need to talk about this setting because of the beautiful act that we've, we've read about uh, earlier. The timing is, is, is this. Again, I believe that the Holy Spirit has orchestrated to, th- to show the contrast. In John's version of this, found in John chapter 12, he states that this section that we're going to read where Jesus is at, at, the, at Simon the leper's house actually occurs on the Saturday before the triumphal entry. So the triumphal entry, that's what we refer to as Palm Sunday, where the people are, are proclaiming Hosanna, Hosanna the highest, and they're laying down their coats, and they're putting down palms for him to come in on the donkey. This happened that day before, that evening before, all right? And, and you can go and tra- track that down for yourself. So Mark is purposely taking things out of the chronological context, I think, to create what we've called the Oreo cookie this morning. It says that he was there in the house of Simon the leper in, in Bethany. Bethany was a village approximately two miles from Jerusalem uh, on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. And it became Jesus' base camp while he was teaching and ministering in Jerusalem itself. They'd go back and forth each day. Remember the, the cursing of the fig tree as they're walking and, and, and lessons like this that are happening probably on, uh, en route uh, uh, either to or from um, uh, Bethany. Okay, it says that it's Simon the leper. Anybody going to sign up to go to a leper's house for dinner? Leprosy in the Bible is kind of a catch-all for all skin diseases that were highly contagious that they didn't necessarily, weren't able to diagnose but they had no cure for. This guy obviously was healed by Jesus because according to the Mosaic law, lepers weren't allowed to to be with non-lepers. The only people they could hang out with were other lepers. But here, it says that he's holding a, a, they're having a party at his house, at Simon the leper's house. Wouldn't it be neat if you were known as, I don't know, Chad the liar? I I think that's a title you could throw throw up. Hey, we're going to go... Uh, over to Chad the liar's house. Why? Because he was healed. Simon was healed of his leprosy. He's no longer the leper, but it reminds everybody and Simon who he was until Christ stepped into his life. So you, you don't have to spit him out. What would your title be? Chad the cheater. I don't want to come up with any names. Arthur the fornicator. Joanne the drunk. That's who you used to be. But Christ has set Simon free. And hopefully he set you free too. He's, they're in the house of Simon the leper. He's not leprous anymore. You can call him Simon the leper all day. He's proud of the fact that he has been freed from those chains. He's been redeemed by that blood that is still going to be shed. Okay. So we have the setting, and it says that a woman 
came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Okay, this, we need to understand something. This is, uh, this is Jewish culture, um, you know, first century Jewish culture. As a rule, it would be a breach of etiquette for a woman to interrupt a male fellowship, a male party where only males are, by a woman unless she was serving the food. Okay. We also learn from John's gospel, going back to John chapter 12, that at this party were Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And John says that this woman that comes in is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. You remember Mary and Lazarus and Martha, right? Previously, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Previously, Martha complains to the Lord that her sister Mary is doing nothing and is not helping serve. And Jesus commends Mary to Martha for choosing the better. We find Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to the teacher. That's the Lazarus, Mary, and Martha that we're talking about here. That's, Mary is the woman here in Mark chapter 14. And it says that she came with an alabaster flask of ointment. This was a small stone flask with a, a slender, long neck containing about a pint. I don't, I don't know what a pint is. About, about 12 fluid ounces of a very expensive perfume or literally ointment made of pure nard. This would be unadulterated, not, not um, watered down at all. But the nard was an aromatic oil that came from a root from a plant in India. It was likely, we can't say for certain, likely that this was owned by, by her family and it was per, perhaps even an heirloom. It was, it was so costly. The, the anointing, let, look at it in the words themselves. It says that she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And John wrote that it didn't stop there. She starts with the head and it goes all the way down to his feet and she even wipes his feet with her hair. I, we need to pause here. We're in the sweet cream filling, folks. This is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Mary didn't limit her expression of praise, adoration, and love to just a few drops of the perfume. Rather, she breaks the bottle. When, what happens when you break a bottle of perfume? Does it matter if you put it back in? The bottle's broken. Everything's going to smell. Let's see that she did not limit her expression, but gave all. And she wiped, she anoints him from the head down to his feet, even wiping his feet with her hair. Now, I need, do need to say that this event should not be confused with another woman that wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. You'll find that in Luke chapter 7. That woman was a prostitute, not this Mary. 
that was in the, a different Simon's house. That was Simon the Pharisee, not Simon the leper, okay? And so um, that woman there in, in uh, Luke chapter 7 is, is just sh- uh, showing her, uh, her thankfulness for being forgiven for her sins. Here, Mary is anointing the Lord for his burial, as he says, okay? Let's see the reaction of the disciples. Think about it. The 12 disciples are there. Let's see their reaction. These guys have walked around with Jesus for about three years. Verse 4, there were some who said to themselves, indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Mark records that they were indignant. This, this word shows outrage. Meaning they were so mad that they flared their nostrils like a horse. Picture this. They're mad. The disciples, the the guys that are going to have their names written on the foundations of the new Jerusalem that comes out of God are flaring their nostrils at the waist here. John records that Judas was so mad, he actually speaks out. Whereas Mark kind of hides it and says that they were indignant within themselves. Judas speaks out and is the one speaking here. There were some that said to themselves indignantly, why, has this, why was this ointment wasted like that? Uh, it's interesting that that word wasted there is perdition. For those that have a, a deeper understanding of it, uh, Judas is referred to as the son of perdition, the son of waste. He's yelling at her for wasting this expense and yet he goes and wastes his entire life. I'm sorry, the, the, the contrast there again. He says, and should be given to the poor. Now, we need to stop and back up a little bit. It was common at Passover time for those to give gifts to the poor on the day of Passover. Okay, so they have this in their, in their thought. However, however, we need to understand we don't read them or read about them giving anything to the poor, do they? They don't make a stop off at the orphanage before going to have the Seder meal with with the Messiah. So this is how we argue sometimes too. We get mad at that waste because of what we could do or what we should do. But it's just an academic exercise. We don't actually read them doing anything. They're just mad that she's wasting it. And Judas is particularly mad because John says that he holds the money bag and he's been stealing from it. So so she could have sold that for 300 denarii. Den- uh, uh, denarii was a day's wage. Uh, this is roughly, uh, this, this alabaster bottle here cost roughly the equivalent of a year's salary. I, I, I forget what, what, what's a man supposed to invest into uh, his, his wife's or his fiance's ring. This is a, a year's worth of salary here. 50, 100 $150,000, depends on what, what people make, I don't know. But like, think, think if you're going to put $50,000 into a bottle of ointment. She cracks it, anoints him from head to toe. And I love this. Jesus stands up, or Jesus says in verse 6, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. 
Jesus defends. He rebuffs them. He rebukes them. And in doing so, he quotes Deuteronomy 15.11. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. He's not mitigating the plight of the poor at all. Please understand that. He's not saying, well, you always have the poor, so now go have them fend for themselves. No, no, no. It's written in the law. Because you will have the poor, you should be giving to your brother. You should be giving to the needy and the poor in your land. Deuteronomy 15, 11 for that, okay? But here in Bethany, he defends a person who is willing to move from that academic argument. Remember, they were saying this could have been happened to where she's actually showing and expressing her love for him. By their standards, the disciples' standards, she has done a ghastly, wasteful thing. But by our Lord's standards, she has done a beautiful thing. And there's a big difference with walking under the Lord, isn't there? He judges not only our actions, but also the intent of the heart. Remember when Samuel was, was called upon to go anoint David as king? He doesn't know who it is yet. The Lord said, I'll show you. And he sees uh, Jesse's firstborn step up to the plate. And Samuel goes, that's the guy. He looks like a king. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Goes all the way down to David, this little ruddy kid who was in the field. They had to call him in. They forgot about him. And he said, the Lord says to Samuel there, man looks on the outside but I look on the heart of the individual. The Lord stops them. He rebukes them. But he also says, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. Oh, great words. We're going to come back to those. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Think about that. You will not always have me. She's anointed my body for burial. The disciples still don't get it. It's going to be just, and remember this is the Saturday before Passover, it's just going to be a few days later that they're not willing to wipe each other's feet at the Passover meal. They're still moving around and trying to, to, to finagle themselves into who's greatest. and all. They're still dealing with all of that. It's the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed and they're fighting over these things. And yet a few days before this, a lowly woman who's not even mentioned in the book of Mark comes and anoints him head to toe for his burial. And I think it has something to do with where we last saw Mary at the feet of Jesus listening to his words. Hey folks, I think I'm a testament to the fact that you don't need initials after your name in, in order to open up God's word. And that, that should let all of us fathers feel comfortable. You don't have to have a theology degree to just simply open up God's word and, and, and read it to your children. Do it. 
says, she has done what she can do. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. The men don't get it, but this woman does. And I believe the Holy Spirit has shown this to her through her faith, through listening to the words of Jesus. And she understands what these guys don't. How Jesus fits into God's word and how he's the fulfillment of God's word. And then he goes on to say, and wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, stop. We forget this because we jump right to the cross. The cross hasn't happened yet. And he's saying that wherever this gospel is proclaimed, we're going to talk about her too. My death isn't going to be the end of the story. It's going to continue on. It's going to perpetuate on through the millennia. And we're going to talk about her, and we are this morning because of her limitless expression of love to her Savior. Folks, don't, don't, don't let the sweet cream go by. Savor it. Take it in. Let's move on now to our second dark evil scheme, that second wafer in our cookie. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. The cookie is complete, is it not? Previously, the first wafer they said that they wanted to arrest him and kill him, but not at this time because it was Passover and they feared the people. Judas changes the game, though, doesn't he? Judas is ticked off at the Lord. He's mad. He hasn't gotten what he thinks he should get. Money, prestige, power, whatever it is he was following the Lord for, Jesus didn't provide that for him, and so he's now going to look to turn the tables and get what, extract from the Lord anything that he can. So he goes to the leaders himself, and the calendar is expedited. That thing that they set out not to do, they're going to do because they have one of his own coming to betray him. The calendar is marching on with the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Father's hand upon it, whether it's 2020 or 2021. We worship the sovereign king of the universe, the sovereign king of the calendar, the sovereign king of all time. Remember, they didn't, they, they planned not to arrest him, and they're going to now. Judas is fully responsible for his own, for his own actions here. He goes to them. He goes to them. And look at this. Look at this, maybe the saddest part of all of scripture in verse 11, and when they heard it, they were glad. And it's, you, you have to have every movie or cartoon popping, villain popping up in your hand. They're doing one of these, right? Oh, oh, oh. And they're loving it. And just as Proverbs says, they go and dig a pit, and guess who's going to fall in it? All right. Pastor Matt loves asking the question, so what? And so we'll continue that tradition on into 2021. So what? What does this mean? We had an Oreo. Okay, great. I know what an Oreo is and all of that. We had two dark, evil events occur with a sweet cream filling. But so what? What can I take home from it? Number one, I think we need to see that worship is costly. Worship 
is going to cost you, it's going to cost me something. Mary came with her priceless possession and gave how much of it to the Lord? She gave all of it. She broke the neck of it and anointed him all. It was broken. She brought her best. She brought all of it. I think we are to bring our best. Remember the Passover lamb had to be without spot or blemish? It, had, it couldn't be sick or have anything wrong with it. It had to be examined to, 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 be, uh, to be certified. It was interesting to me, though, in thinking about this, that the nard that she used, she didn't apply to her brother Lazarus when he was dead. Think about that. Her brother had previously died and been buried. It had been a number of days, and the quote of the body stinketh. They, they, they'd cautioned the Lord, no, no, Lord, you don't want to go up there. The body's going to stink. It's been a number of days. She didn't use this nard on him, but she used it on her Lord. I think that, I, I don't know, I found that interesting. But sometimes the biggest cost in our own lives is simply to do what? Is that, is that not right? To admit that you're wrong? To admit that I'm wrong? To humble myself, myself before the Lord and to say, Lord, I am sorry. I am wrong. I need your forgiveness. This whole, this, this has caused me to remember when David was king, he committed a horrible sin of numbering the people of Israel. He commanded a census uh, to happen, and it was forbidden. And the Lord punished Israel because of David's sin. And during that punishment, 70,000 men of Israel died. And at the end of it, David was instructed to raise an altar on the threshing floor of Ornan. You can read this in 2 Chronicles 21. He goes to Ornan, and he says, I need to buy it from you. And I'll, I'll read it here. He says, and David said to Ornan, give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at full price that the plague may be averted from the people. And then Ornan said to David, take it and let my Lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the, the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all, Ornan says to David. But David, King David replies, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Folks, you know it at Christmas time. It's not really a good gift if it didn't cost you anything. Am I right? Am I right? All wives, yes. Yes, you, yes he's right. And, and, and men, we've sat there with uh, some, uh, some less than uh, favorable gifts at times. Worship is costly. If you're bringing nothing of value to the Lord, it's probably nothing of value. Number two, I think worship is often misunderstood. I think often worship is misunderstood. I anticipate that worship is misunderstood by those outside of me and my relationship with the Lord. What Mike does to worship the Lord is probably going to be a little bit different than the way that Chad worships the Lord because Mike's different than Chad and Chad's different than Mike. And Mike has a relationship with the Lord. He's called Mike to worship him in a different way than he's called me to worship him. 
We must please the Lord because worship is Christ-centered. It's not us-centered. If I'm, if I'm singing and praising the things that I've done and what I've given and all this, then, then the focus is still on me. It's Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered. Others will misunderstand and may even criticize us, but this should not keep us from worshiping. I should be looking. I should be looking to him. And, and, and as a side, I can worship through many different avenues. It's not just song on a Sunday morning. In fact, he calls us to obedience, which is even greater worship than sacrifice. And what may appear to be wasteful is received wholeheartedly by our Lord. I told you that we'd come back to those words, she did what she could. This should ring, uh, uh, remind us of our earlier study through the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 12, there was a widow there who had two coins. And she gave all to the Lord. And the Lord's just watching, remember? The Lord's watching. And he tells his disciples, she, she gave in a bunch. She gave more than all of these others. They're giving out of their abundance. She's giving out of her poverty. She gave what she could. Love that too. Here you have a very poor widow who only gives two coins. On an earthly, physical level, it means nothing. To the Lord, it meant everything. You have Mary coming with an alabaster jar that's giving a, a, a multi thousand dollar ointment to, to, uh, on the Lord. And he has the same words for both women she did what she could. Folks, don't get trapped into thinking that worship has to be something outside of you. Worship is whatever you have. Use it to honor him. Use it to praise him for who he is and what he has done. He's going to the cross here. She sees that through faith. And she anoints him. And she gave all. And then lastly, I think worship changes us. You stay there in Mark. I'm going to jump over to, to John's uh, um, uh, version of this. In John 12, it says, She wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Think about this. Very expensive. This isn't eau de toilette. No, no, no. This isn't even eau de parfum. This is nard, pure, unadulterated nard. This is the good stuff, the super good stuff. What happens when you break a bottle of perfume? Well, we see it anointed on Jesus, and then we see Mary wiping her hair, or his feet with her hair. What happens to Mary? What does she smell like? She smells like her Lord now, doesn't she? Not only that, not only is Mary changed, what about the rest of the house? The rest of the house has the fragrance of the Lord as well. Mom and dad, let your children see you worship. Open the word together. Talk about it. You don't stand up there and thump your chest about how great you are and what you know and this and that. You open it up and when they have a question you don't know, you say, I don't know. I've never thought about that one before. It happens how many times in the Thompson household? Routinely is the answer. I don't know. I've never thought like that before. Good question. Mary was changed she smelled like her Lord. The house was changed. It smelled like their Lord. Worship changes us. Folks, small section 
of God's word. Very easy to understand, and yet I think there is so much there for us to feast on. I pray, I do pray that we would meditate upon that this week. Continue on in the book of Mark. Guess what? We're going to pick right up next week in verse 12. I guarantee it. Same face is going to be here. All right? So, let's pray. And let's thank the Lord for going to the cross. Let's thank the Lord for being our Savior. For delivering us from what we were enslaved to, that we were in, in chains with. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you, Lord, because you didn't stop. You came, yes, Lord, as a helpless baby. But Lord, you grew up. You ministered. You lived a sinless, perfect life for us to look upon, for us to read about, for us to behold. And Lord, I pray that as we continue on in this new year, that we wouldn't look to the calendar for hope. We wouldn't look to whatever outside of you. We would look to you just as Mary did. And Lord, I pray that we would anoint you with our worship. Oh, Father, thank you for sending your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's hear we say goodbye to those online. Hope to see you next week. Those in-house, please stand and we're going to sing.